Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. How are we doing today? Okay. I'm wearing a sweater, and I usually don't wear a sweater when I'm preaching or hosting, but I need to tell you about this. This is actually, it's called Divine Strength. This is my old student's just came out clothing company, and I'm not trying to get sponsored necessarily, but a little bit. And so um, anyways, that's why I'm wearing that today. It's more of a shout out to him. His name's Aaron Laughlin. They started this. It's a Christian clothing company, like for workouts and stuff like that. So that's why I'm wearing that. And then a lot of people comment on my shoes. So I just need to tell you about my shoes really quick. We're doing a fit, we're doing fit check on in the morning. Don't worry. But these shoes are actually very special to me. Not, not because they're, and if you know the shoes, you probably know, oh, those are, those are really nice Jordans. But, but these were given to me on my last day as a youth pastor before I moved here as a way of, and I did a, a sermon on that last day of talking about stepping into new shoes because because uh, like my, my intern, my friend was taking over the youth group and he was going to step in to new shoes. And I was stepping into new shoes, going out from youth ministry and coming here. And so they gave me new shoes. Okay. So, um, so that's why these are very special to me. Just in case you're ever wondering, like, why does that do? Like, they must pay these guys millions if he's going to wear those shoes. That's not the case. These were given to me as a gift. But anyways, I, w- I just want to do that. Um, you know, and we're going to hop right in. So if you want to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians pretty much the whole day, the whole sermon today. We're going to hop around just a little bit, but 1 Corinthians is the majority. And the Roman government believed this. The Roman government believed this. When Christianity first started, and it was just becoming those first disciples, and they were starting to get more and more followers coming through. The Roman government believed Christianity could never survive, that it would just flame out and die for two main reasons. Number one, the Christian's view on generosity. The Romans just could not understand their view on generosity, on how, on how a Christian could be so generous that, that rich Christians would give their stuff away to poor Christians. They were buying food for each other. They were doing all this stuff. Like the Romans just could not understand that. And the second was the Christian's view on sex. Their view on how, on how the Christians viewed sex, on how there were these boundaries on it, and how there were these things you couldn't do. They could not understand that at all because in their, in their pagan lifestyle with, with gods that they had created to, to be able to have sex with those temple prostitutes, they were just like, you cannot limit this. Like, this has to be freedom. This has to be, this has to be a form of expressions. And yes, I have said sex like four times from the stage and we're all feeling a little awkward, right? Just a little bit. Because dude, that dude saying sex in church. But that's what we're gonna be talking about today. What is the answer to what does God think about sex? And this is important because like I said, and listen, if you think you feel awkward, imagine this guy right up here. Okay, so I'm just saying. And the reason even I feel awkward, and maybe some of you would be able to attest to this, I grew up in church. And when someone said, hey, they were gonna talk about sex, it was one of two things. It was an extreme. It was either super awkward, weird, where you're like, bro, seriously, get off the stage. This is just, I don't wanna hear this. Like, you need to stop talking. I don't know where you are, but I will never high five you again. Like all that, like, like seriously, like it was just like, like that was kind of the vibe, right? They're like, man, this guy is like being too weird, okay? Or you had the other side where they were too angry 
and they were just yelling about things and people were screaming about how, how it's just disgusting and gross and, and all that kind of stuff. And I'm going to do my best to do neither of those things. I don't wanna make it awkward. I don't wanna yell, we're not gonna get angry, but I do wanna do this. I want to try and expose the lies the devil has used about sex to tear you down. Because there is this view outside of church culture and maybe you are a person that right now you have that view about God, that God just believes that, that, that sex isn't, isn't, isn't really for anything. It should be only used for one thing and that's it. Just make babies and there should be like, like you're almost like you have this view that God must like be disgusted with sex. So I wanna try and, and give you the reasons why sex is a gift from God to us and how the devil has taken a gift and made it into a weapon. So that's what we're gonna talk about today. So before I do any of that, especially for this topic, I do not want these things to be out of Charlie Bacar's brain or mouth or anything like that. I want the Holy Spirit to take over because I believe this, that out of all the answer series, all the answer sermons we've done, this one, at least statistically, might hit home for about 90% of us. Because even though some of you are Christians and maybe you're searching for answers and, and this is just a way to get those answers, but for those of you who are Christians, even though you might know the answers, you still might be falling into the lies the devil has talked about. So I wanna do my best to help expose those. So can you pray with me really quick? Father, God, we just, we just wanna take a moment just to thank you. God, for this church, God, for Pastor Jim, God, for, for the staff that works here, God, for our campuses. And God, we wanna give this time to you. That God, as we talk about a subject that the world loves to scream about, that the world tries to sell us on, that God, we would be able to refocus our eyes on the truth, to be able to see it for what it is, Father. So we pray all this in your name, amen. amen. All right, so the first lie, we're gonna go for lie and then we're gonna talk about the truth, right? We're gonna use scripture to back it up. So the lie, the lie that culture tells us is that sex is the ultimate. Sex is the ultimate. Like you have people maybe in your life that their view of their whole life is centered around sex. Like they, in fact, some people, especially when they're addicted to sex or addicted to pornography, they might even schedule their time in order to be able to view something or hook up with someone or all that kind of stuff. Because in their mind, sex is the ultimate pleasure. This was a lot about what the Romans thought, right? And in, in, in fact, a lot about what the non-Christians in Corinth were viewing sex as, it was such a pagan culture that now the Christians were getting saved, but they were still, you know, kind of going back to their old sexual natures. They were still kind of dabbling a little bit back and forth because to them, sex was the ultimate. It was two ultimates, really. It was the ultimate good where everything would center around it. And I would even say this, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just gonna touch on this really quick. Not only was it the ultimate good to try and to be with someone, but for our culture today, sometimes it is the ultimate good in the way that we want to look. Like, I want to look sexy, which basically means this. I want to look like someone that someone would want. And in fact, that's probably more of what people seem to center their lives around, correct? If I can just look a certain way, people would want me or people would want to be uh, uh, me. So, that they, so in turn, someone else would want me. And we have been sold this sex as, as the ultimate, even like from things to like, you know, Carl's Jr. burgers. Like, it's like the weirdest thing, right? Cologne. If you ever watch a cologne commercial, you're like, dear Lord, like, ah, like, do you know what I mean? But we're sold that. 
We're sold that sex is the ultimate. That if you do this, then you could get, if you buy this product, you will get to the ultimate good. So just buy it. And, and, and we're sold this idea that if you look a certain way, then your life is going to be so much better because now you're going to be sexy and people are going to want to be with you. And I'm not talking about being healthy. Listen, I'm not saying if you're trying to get into a healthy, healthy state in your life, that's a whole different subject. I think that is good. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I do believe that there is room to be healthy without crossing over in the, to the room of like, I want to be sexy. I want to be wanted by others. And yet that is what some people center their whole lives around. That is how they view sex. Sex is the ultimate good. I'm just with this girl or I'm with this guy just so I can get with them and then move on because that is how they view sex. Or sex is the ultimate identity. Who I find sexually attractive, now I can know who I really am. That's another lie culture has sold some of you. That who I find sexually attractive now all of a sudden gives me purpose in life. It gives me, it gives me a community. It gives me love. It gives me all these things just by the simple fact that I find this person or that person sexually attractive. Both of those things viewed as the ultimate, viewed as the rock that you stand on are so shaky, right? Because we know this. We know that no matter what, sex cannot be the ultimate. It just can't. It cannot be the ultimate. And if you are basing your whole life on either the ultimate good of having sex or the ultimate identity of who I am, this is who I am because I find this person or that person sexually attractive, I'm telling you right now, that is such shaky ground, you will never feel safe. Your foundation of the life you sit on and you stand on will never feel secure. Even if you feel like you have those urges, let's say you have a same-sex attraction, you feel those urges and you're like, yes, but that's who I really am. I'm telling you right now, if you put your whole identity just on that, your identity is gonna fall. It cannot be on just who you find sexually attractive that creates your whole identity and gives you community and gives you love. That will fall, that will be shaky, and you will never feel safe. It will be like building your house on sand. But this is the lie that culture tells us, right? That sex is the ultimate. This is the truth that the Lord says. Sex has purpose. Sex is important and it has purpose. You know, in, in the next service, um, there's gonna be a lot of child dedications. I think it's because they go to first, but they got, this is like a big day. You got your kids ready. So, you know, you sleep in a little bit, you know, you gotta get break. So I'm assuming that's why they're all coming to second. Or, you know, I don't know what you guys are doing. So, um, but, there, but with child dedications, Think about this. A child is the product of sex. If you did not know that, I'm so sorry. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you. And I'm just thinking this. Like, isn't that so cool that God said, you know what? Children, I need to procreate this earth. Let's do this with sex. Let's make it a pleasurable thing that then you're going to get a, a child out of it. And if you've ever held your child, okay, your baby or a niece or a nephew, you just know, man, this is so big, right? You have a love for those children that is unexplainable, honestly. Like the first time I held Soraya in my arms and Eliana, because you would think like your first one, they get all love and the second one, like, uh, that's not true at all. It's like, 
you would think like, oh, I'm gonna be used to not be, you know, dads get anxious like when they have kids because now we're like in full protector mode and, and you would think like, ah, oh, it's not gonna be as bad with the second. It's, no, it just doubles, it's the worst. And, uh, and, but you hold your child and nothing in the world matters than that baby, right? Like I held my child and it was so, so cool. And that, that, that awesome little thing that gives me so much joy, that, gives me, that makes me laugh every day that, that I just wanna record 24 seven what they do because I think it's the cutest. I'm pretty sure we could be Instagram famous if I just wore a, like, like one of those eye cameras and just filmed and put it all online. I just, cause they're just so, to me, they're so adorable. That is a product of sex. Like, think about that. Like, God said, you know what? We're going to do this the fun way. I was like, high five, God. Let's go. Like, what, what, like, that's so cool, right? But even in that, even within that, you can already know that sex can't be the ultimate when you hold your child, right? Like, even within that small, that small little moments of nine months, something that was great, that was temporary, gives you, gives you a child, I think that is so awesome. But there's another reason that sex has a purpose, that sex is important. And I want, I want to show you this. This is um, in 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 6, and we're going to be at verse 13 right now. So go ahead, chapter 6, verse 13. And again, we're in Corinthians a lot because the Corinth church uh, was in the center. And let me just tell you this. The Corinth church was in the center of just the most paganistic crazy culture like even the romans were like dude corinth is nuts like do you know what i mean like that's how like that's how people viewed it and paul said that's the perfect place to put a church can i just say that so i know a lot of us sometimes we're we're discouraged by by maybe the place we live or anything like that can i just tell you this is the perfect place to have a church is where things are going down and where we can be a light and that's exactly what paul says right here and so i want you to show as he just gives some some theological reasons of why sex is important. Verse 13, food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I take them away? Shall I take them away, the members of Christ and make them members of prostitutes? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says the two shall become one flesh, flesh, but the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside of the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Who are you from God that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. Now, that's a lot. To be honest, that's kind of a deep section of text, right? Like, it's kind of like, in fact, you might be sitting there and being like, that was good, and I don't know what was said. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it might be one of those, one of those Bible, Bible scriptures where you're like, I think that's really good. I just, not too sure. Let me tell you just like the, the, the breakdown. The theological reasoning of sex, because that, that, I honestly believe this. I believe that, that science and nature screams about the Lord. I honestly do. We, in fact, last week, Pastor Jim preached about that, right? This is how science and faith go hand to hand. And so I believe that when God creates something, like he created sex, like there is a reason, there's a purpose, and it will always point back to the Lord. So think about this. As a man gives himself up to a woman and a woman gives herself up to a man, like there is something there. There is a sacredness there. There is a bond that is there. Now, look at what Jesus did as he sacrificed his body for us. 
and in turns asked us to sacrifice our lives for him. As I give myself up to my wife and my wife gives herself up to me as we, as we come together, and, and we're gonna talk about that a little bit later, but how selfless that is, that, that there is a, a theological pointing to the Lord that since this is so good, imagine what it is when God like gave himself up, came down as, as Jesus Christ gave his body up for us so that we can be sanctified and brought before the Lord. And then in turn, we can then give ourselves to him. Now, please, please listen. Cause, cause some of you might be like, dude, is that dude up there saying like being with God is like having sex with him? Like what is, what is that guy doing? All right, that is not the case at all. What I'm saying is simply this. There is something that happens when something, when, when sex happens between a husband and a wife. And it is pleasurable and it is awesome. But that's temporary. The actual pleasure, not the perverted pleasure that some of you might be thinking in your heads, but the pleasure and the, and the satisfaction and the emotional stability that you get when you sacrifice and give yourself up for the Lord as he gave himself up for you. That is what Paul is talking about right here. And he's saying, if you just give yourself up to anyone, what does that say about your theology and your faith about the Lord? Because if you're just like, well, I can be with this person and be with that person and I can go and, and be with this prostitute and all that kind of stuff, then the Lord's like, but then what? I gave myself up for you for a purpose. I sacrificed myself to you for a purpose. And this, and this act of sex is not just supposed to be just for you. It points to this unification with God of me giving my body up as to my wife, as me laying down my life for the Lord as he laid his life down for me. Does that make sense? I know that's deep, I understand. But that is what Paul is trying to say here is that sex is important because it points to the unification that we have with the Lord. The next lie is kind of almost the opposite of sex is ultimate. In fact, it's kind of broken down to sex is impulse. This is a lie the devil tells us that culture tries, it's just natural. It's just an impulse, it's an urge. I call it two things. I'll call it the lies of eyes or the eye cloud, okay? Not the good eye cloud that keeps all your stuff and you don't have to remember any of your passwords, not that one. <laughs> but the cloud of I, the cloud of me. Because it's just a bunch of excuses that start with I. It's just natural. It's only sex. I deserve it. And can I just say this? The I deserve it club, man, that, that hangs out in church a lot. The I deserve club. I deserve to be able to look at pornography because my wife's not meeting my needs. I deserve to be able to uh, uh, be intimate with my coworker because my husband isn't meeting my needs at home. I deserve this because I do so much good in the world that I just need some stuff for me. I deserve this because it's, it's an urge, Charlie, and God gave me the urge and so I just have to act on it or else it's gonna tear me up inside. I deserve it. And it's just this cloud that you fall into of just I, me. It's all about me. Or maybe you go with the, it's natural. Like, look at the animals, Charlie. They do it all the time. Like, it's, it's fine. It's just an impulse. It's just an urge. And in fact, it goes from being the ultimate of it's everything to being something that's, that's no big deal. Something we make jokes about, something we just talk about, you know, casually. 
it's not that big of a deal, Charlie. Third day, it's fine. I have to get to know that person before I can take it any further with them. And we treat it like it's nothing. In fact, the almost the exact opposite of ultimate. It's just natural. But we know this. We know that sex cannot just be just an urge or an impulse or just something that it's natural. It's just something in nature. And if I, if I, if I hold it down or if I don't act on it, then, then I'm not really being me. We know that can't be true. Because if you've ever spoken, as I have, to a person that has been sexually abused, you know that an urge from someone else can damage another. And not just in the moment, okay? Not just in the moment of the sex, sexual abuse, but for years and years, the emotional scarring and the stuff that comes out of it for years and years to come. So we have to believe that the impulse is a lie. Because if it was just impulse and that, none of that stuff would happen, right? If it's just natural, then, then, then it's just, just like nature, right? But we know there's something more to it. We know that it just can't be an impulse. We know it just can't be just an urge. In fact, this is what I would say, that God says the truth is that sex is selfless. In fact, the act of sex, in my mind, is one of the most selfless acts you can ever have with another person. Let me show you here in 1 Corinthians um, 7, verse 2. But because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife and each woman to have her own husband. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have, listen to this, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Think of how selfless that verse is. Now, now that almost seems like in the context of us right now, that almost seems like abuse, right? But that's not what's going on. Think of it like this. That if sex is the most selfless act I can have with another person, with my wife, because it is the act of saying, I am not having any authority over my own body, you do. And you don't have any authority over your own body, I do. Just really quick, I just wanna talk to maybe some young people who aren't married or single people or whatever. The reason this is so important is because we have made sex so unimportant that we are walking around with a generation and generations of people scarred and hurt and lost because instead of viewing sex as the most selfless thing they could do for another, they just thought it was nothing. Ah, it's not that big of a deal. It's just nerds, it's just natural. It's just something two people do to see if they, if they can connect. But if sex is what scripture says, if it's not just me just being me and acting on urge, but it's me and you becoming one, and it's me having authority over your body and you having authority over my body, this is not one of those selfless acts that I do for everyone. In fact, God says this is a selfless act that you need to find the right person to do this with. And in our culture, in our culture, we call that marriage, just like they did in Jewish culture. 
that we have a marriage ceremony and a marriage opportunity to see, to really see if the person that I want to be that selfless with is worthy of my selflessness. And so you date and you see how the other reacts when you order something that's a little expensive, right? You wanna see their reaction. You wanna see how they interact with your family and with your parents, right? You wanna see, okay, is this all right? Like, are, is, are there any red flags here? Is, is something going down or, you know, is he, is he a jerk in front of them or how's that? Or is she just a weirdo? Like, do you know what I mean? You wanna, you wanna see, do they get, do, how, how do they react when, when difficulties come up? Are, are they just gonna jet and bounce and I'll never see them again? Or are they gonna stick by me and support me? How are we gonna react when we have our first fight? Are we just gonna yell and scream at each other and not handle this in a healthy way? Or are we gonna come back together, apologize? And you have this whole dating process and maybe you get through and you say, you know what, I really, I've liked this person. In fact, I love this person. Let's get engaged. And he goes and he spends some money on a ring. I'm, oh, listen, my wife is wearing a $500 ring that I pawned three of my stepdad's old wedding bands at the jeweler shop. Uh, I knew the jeweler because she was my old youth leader. So she gave me whatever discount and it is a tiny little ring and I do not care. Okay. But I, I bought it. It was all the money I had at the time, 500 bucks. Um, and she wears it today, 12 years later. She wears that thing today. Mine, this is like my fourth one because I always lose them. So this is like a dollar or something. Significance, guys. It's the significance. Um, but, but I put that on her. Now we're in the engagement process. Now I want to see how we work together. Um, we are now going to start planning a wedding. And listen, your wedding, let me just tell you this. It's a lie, a culture that lies to us and tells us your wedding needs to be big. It needs to be fancy. It needs to be this and that. Listen, just tell all your friends, bring over some in and out for themselves. Get, I'm serious. Like, you know, get some flowers, do that kind of stuff. Like it doesn't need to be this big old thing, but it, there needs to be something, right? There needs to be some sort of ceremony. There needs to be something that you and you and them worked on together that you, that you, scraped by that you got friends in fact you're you're so confident that this is the person you want to marry that you're like you know what let's invite some of my friends over let's invite my family over to watch us get married and then you stand before a person like me and he reads vows like I will be with you I will support you I will stand by you in in sickness and in health I will be with you if if everything goes awry and it's just me and you out there like I will stick by you through everything right someone like me says that you then say yeah I'm good I do you then have the ceremony you kiss you dance a little bit only after all of that do you now know this is the person I feel safe with right because now you've seen them now you've seen how they've reacted and now is the most, this is now the time that you now can consummate your marriage in the most selfless way possible with sex. Because everything that's happened before has now made you feel safe. Do you know that Stony Brook a University in the East Coast did one of the most authoritative studies on sex and they found this, that married couples have more emotionally satisfying and more pleasurable sex than unmarried couples. And, the, and, and, they, and they didn't say like, oh, one night stands versus married. No, no, no. They said this. They said, 
even if the per- people were living together for the same amount of time as the person that were married together for the same amount of time, the people that were married have more, have more satisfying and emotionally safe sex, emotionally satisfying sex. Why? Because they knew that, each other, that they had each other's back, that they knew that they were gonna be with each other forever and there was no, there was no fear. There was no, they could be totally free with each other because they knew this, this was okay. They knew they could trust the other. And so they were willing to give up their body as they were giving up their body and to become one. I mean, that's, that's powerful. And can I just say, if, if you're a teenager in here, or young adult, the reason this is important for you to stand on, not only just for yourself, so that you can save yourself a lot of emotional scarring and a lot of, a lot of just, just trying to figure out your own life like it can help you but it can help your friends and like I said we have generations of people that are scarred because they viewed sex as it's just something for me it's just something for me you know and and ladies it's so important I understand that it can it can be for you this emotional connection with a person that's why I'm saying Use that time to make sure that's the person. Use that time to make sure that's the person. And men, same thing. It cannot just be about your physical needs. You have got to put some, you've got to be able to to be emotional enough to understand that sex is not just about your physical needs. It's something so much greater than that. It's a gift that God gave us so that we could be intimate and be together with someone. Fully selfless. So, the third thing, and the final thing, the lie that I feel the devil has taught us is that God says sex is bad. Now there's, I feel like I've made a pretty good argument of why he doesn't, okay? But let me just, I mean, we just gotta understand this. That there is no way that God says sex is bad. He created sex. He created the body parts that are needed for sex. He was very, he knew what he was doing, right? Like he, there was no mistakes. He didn't be like, oh man, I forgot. Like, do you know what I mean? He didn't do that. We know that God didn't do that. But this is the problem is that Christians make it seem like God says sex is bad, right? We don't have these discussions on church on Sunday or at youth on Wednesday because we are so worried about what's gonna happen and how are they gonna take it. And so we just leave it for two things. Either be super awkward, like I said before, or be super angry about how dirty and disgusting and gross and I can't believe they think like that and that's just the most perverted thing. We give the impression that God says sex is bad and we need to be careful about that. We need to speak these truths that I'm talking about today so that people can understand that, hey, God loves me. That God, God's about, God, God cares for me. So we know that's a lie, that God says sex is bad. And if anybody ever told you that, here are a few things you can say, but this is what I re- really feel that God says. That God doesn't say that sex is bad. God says, and if you want to go, actually don't go to Hebrews, it's going to be uh, on the screen. But God does say that sex has boundaries. So here's Hebrews, uh, go ahead, put it up, 13.4. Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled for fornications and adulterers. God will judge. And this is 1 Corinthians so I didn't want you to turn there, 6, 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? 
Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals. And this can scare some of us because this is where some people get really uncomfortable with Scripture. They're like, man, look at that. Like, I can't believe it says that. But I'm going to be honest, I believe that. But not because I believe that God's trying to pick out people to go to hell. No, 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 no. I believe this is actually what God is saying when he says sex has boundaries. Um, uh, you know fish, right? I've never, I'm horrible at fishing. Um, this is like not, like, you, if I've spoken enough and you know I don't like backpacking, if I like fishing, that would be like, whoa, what's wrong with that guy? So uh, I, I st- I'm a straight shooter and I stay in my lane, which is not fishing or hiking or anything like that. Um, so I don't know how to fish. My dad and, and people tried to teach me and I, and I don't understand how you can know how to fish. It honestly seems just like, it just seems like it's a shot in the dark. And so I don't know like how people get good at fishing. It just seems like you throw a string out there. Sometimes something bites, sometimes something doesn't. For me, it never did. And I'm way too like have ADD to like sit there and wait for that bobber to go down. So I just, I don't do it. But we know this and I do know this that a fish can only survive in water, right? That's where a fish can live. If you've ever seen a fish out of water, you've seen that thing come out and it dies within minutes. So we know that fish cannot survive outside of water. But inside of water, it thrives. Inside of water, when it's within the boundaries of water, it flourishes. And that's what God is saying about sex. He is saying, when you take it outside of the boundaries that I have set up, it's not that, that, that I'm trying to make it something horrible. It's not like I'm trying to just make up sins so people can go to hell. That's not the case at all. But I have set it up so it can flourish within the boundaries that I've set it. And when you're in those boundaries, it is gonna be amazing. That's what he's saying. He's saying these boundaries are not just for whatever's. He's saying, because sex is so important, I had to put boundaries and I had to put it in a, in a place where it could flourish and it could thrive and it could survive. So if anybody ever tells you like, that God hates sex, just say, no, 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 God just knows that this is where it thrives at. It thrives in the boundaries that he set up because he really just wants the best for you. Now, I chose to speak on this topic I know some of you are probably like, dude, dude drew the short straw, man. He just, you know what I mean? I understand. I understand how you might feel like that. But that's not the case. Because first I want to show you the boundaries that, how far are these boundaries? Where does God really set these boundaries? Do you know where he sets them? He doesn't set, set them just in the physical. He starts the boundary right here, Matthew 5, 28. But I also say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Think about where it starts. It doesn't start with the physical. It doesn't start with, okay, Charlie, so what's the line? How close can I get to the line without? It starts right here. And the reason I asked Pastor Jim that I could speak on this topic is because I feel like I have a unique testimony in this. My wife and I waited until we were married to be with each other. And I don't just mean just me and her, but me with anyone else and her with anyone else. 
So my wife and I are the only two people that we have been with. But from the ages of 14 to 23, 24, I struggled with pornography. Internet was just kind of coming around. People were talking about it. So from 14 to 24, I struggled. So on one end, listen, if anybody ever tells you, oh, I can't wait until marriage, I'm telling you, you can't. And I got married at 23. So it is possible. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. But on this end, I know what it's like to come to church and feel dirty, to feel ashamed, to be so scared that someone's gonna find out and tell others about my sin, to be so worried that if I came to the altar, the pastor was gonna say it out loud. I know what that's like. Like I said, I know both perspectives. And I know that some of you sit here and that same shameness, that dirtiness, that whatever, even if you don't struggle with it anymore, it just still kind of sits with you. And it's hard to deal with sometimes when someone like me talks about it for 36 minutes because there's pain there. Can I tell you this? That the blood of Jesus, who's accessible to all of us, whether you right now believe in Jesus, you already have it. If you don't believe in Jesus yet, you can have it. That that blood sanctifies you. And that sin you think he still remembers, he doesn't. Do you know how far the east is from the west? It's a long ways. That's how far he says he casts a sin from you. I love the illustration of, of this man who said to, to, uh, to this woman who was a prophetess, who, who said that she could hear from God. He said, I will believe that you can hear from God if you can tell me my sin. And the woman said, well, give me a couple days to pray. So she prayed for a couple days. He came back. He said, did God tell you what my sin was yet? She goes, uh, give me a couple more days. She prays a couple more days. The guy comes back, says, hey, did God tell you what my sin was yet? She said, just give me one more day. So he gives her one more day. He comes back and he says, did God tell you what my sin was yet? And she says, the only answer I'm getting from God is, I don't remember. I don't remember. I don't remember. Because when you're sanctified by the blood, that old self goes away. And listen, I'm not saying that like some of the pain and some of the scars go away like that, but I know that the sin goes away. And that means that the scars can start to heal. And before we end, can I just tell you this? At this church specifically, at New Beginnings, we have some amazing, amazing resources for you to be able to work through some of these things. If you go on our website, nbcc.com, and you go to the MFR ministry or marriage family relationship, or you just look that up, you will see classes about redefining sexuality. You'll be able to get counseling from Pastor Eric. You can talk to uh, Jennifer Disney, who, who has a great book about her struggles with, with just overcoming shame and her testimony. We have things for you. We're gonna have some great prayer partners that are gonna go right over here. And after we're done, you can go right to them and you can just get some prayer and you can get resources. But I don't want you to walk away with having nothing. 
I want you to have answers, yes, to a question that someone might ask you. But I also want to make sure that you know that you can be taken care of. Because this might be the only sermon in this series that applies to Christians as much as to someone outside of the church. And I want to make sure you know what you have here at this church. So before we go on, can we pray really quick? Father, God, we give this time to you. God, I give... God, not that I have these people, but God, we release these people to you. Holy Spirit, that you would speak to people right now. God, if they are struggling with a, with a sin or they have fallen into a lie, into the cloud of I, and God, that, that, that they need to find their way back. They need to find their way home. God, they need to find the truth and apply it to their lives. God, I pray right now you would first Convict them, not in a way, God, that, that they feel like they're torn down because Holy Spirit, that's not what you do, but Holy Spirit, you would convict them in a way that you would, just, you would just tap on their shoulder and say, hey, son, daughter, let's get this right. Let's stop letting people feed you with this lie. That God, they would reach out for resources and ways to answer the questions that some of them have to Father, to get healing from some of the things that have been done or some of the mistakes they've made or a mistake that someone made to them, a pain that someone else caused. Father, you would begin that healing process right now. And that God, you would bring back these, these truths when someone questions us and says, why does God feel this way about sex? Why does he hate it? Why does he hate people that don't adhere to his boundaries? And God, we could come back with the real answers that he doesn't hate anyone, that he loves, that he wants them to flourish, that he wants them to thrive, but that he knows that it has to be within the boundaries that he set because he's the creator and he knows what's best. So Father, we just give you the rest of this time. In your name we pray, amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.